The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Welcome. In partnership with the Columbus Dispatch Editorial Board, The Other Side is featuring a series of special podcast episodes called In Black and White. The series is devoted to discussing racism and its meaning. These episodes will run in conjunction with op-ed columns appearing in the newspaper and on Dispatch.com. Dr. Terrence Dean and I will be interviewing scholars in relevant fields to try to answer some of the most important questions related to racism. And joining us today is Jean-Philippe Dorval, who is the Advocacy and Public Policy Liaison for the Prevention Action Alliance. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to have you with us, especially with the op-ed that you wrote for us. Thank you so much for contributing. <laughs> of course. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I think it's just a powerful story that you're telling. Um, I think so many of us have that experience of um, being marginalized persons in uh, spaces where we have to navigate our identities. And the way you weave that story, starting from childhood all the way to adult and now into your professional career, and how you're still navigating those spaces, trying to figure out where you fit in and how you fit in. Um, I want to know why did you decide to tell this particular story? Um, What inspired you or what was the inspiration um, behind telling the story of what it means to negotiate Blackness in white spaces? And what does that mean when you say negotiate Blackness? Right. Um, no, thank you for that that question, Dr. Dean. I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, it's it's not something that's talked about enough, in my opinion. Um, the sacrifices that black persons have to make in white spaces in order to make their white counterparts feel comfortable and also adapt themselves. Um, and given how much that that, you know, negotiation was, you know, present in my life, I felt like it was a good story to tell. Because you, you don't really hear a lot of stories regarding, you know, Black people growing up in predominantly white suburbs, and at least not not to my knowledge. Um, and maybe that's just because of the spaces I'm in. But I felt like it was important for me to tell my story, to let other people know who, who've had those experiences, um, either all of them or, or, or some of them, that, hey, like, you're not the only one going through that. You know, you're not the only one that has to think about, you know, how they are presenting themselves to the world or to their space um, when they're the the super minority. So I thought that was important to tell. Um, you said that the second question was negotiating blackness. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, for for me, and this might not be the, <laughs> the scholarly answer to that, but it, it, it's a thought process. It's a never ending thought process of, okay, I'm in the room. I'm only, the only black person here. I may be the only black person that this person sees today. How can I present myself in a way that, you know, friendly, unthreatening, that really, you know, I guess represents the black race well, you know, because you don't know what that person's experience is with black people. So you always want to put your best, you know, foot forward. And it's not a healthy way of thinking at all. But, you know, at least for me, like I've been conditioned to kind of go through that process like okay like I need to stand up straight you know am I dressed nice you know am I speaking properly you know am I being you know too assertive you know how's my tone how how strong or powerful is my voice it's it's, it's all encompassing like trying to present myself in the most 
friendly, you know, package possible, the most unthreatening package possible, whatever, whatever threatening means for, you know, those individuals in the room. But that's, you know, that, that's what I would say is the, is the definition of negotiation. No, I think that's very, that is very powerful that you, you talk about negotiating your blackness or how you interact in those spaces. Um, I think a lot of us um, persons of color have done that in some regard um, because some of the stereotypes that have been presented around people of color, particularly black persons, you know, there's the angry black man or, you know, the hostile black woman. Um, and then, you know, how do you um, um, make certain persons feel less threatening um, when you're in the space because the intimidating factor of black men, you know, uh, tall, broad, you know, over, overpowering or the thought that processes that come into um, a lot of white persons head, especially white police officers, because we've heard that happen before um, uh, with Michael Brown, the police officer said he turned into a hawk-like figure. Um, and so there's this super imposing or we call it superhumanization of black persons um, where they become these super power or super powerful people, persons in certain situations. When you say um, negotiating your blackness and you talk about it in your op-ed when you were younger, mm -hmm. um, how you had those experiences of being the only minority sometimes in your elementary school, middle school and high school experiences. And your parents didn't really go or talk to you about that experience. Could you explain or could you share a little bit about like how is that is that where you first started to know, realize, you know, I'm uniquely different from all the other students and there's something that, that's going on here. Who do I talk to or how do I negotiate this space um, in my unique difference? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something I had to <laughs> kind of figure out on my own. It really started, like you said, Dr. Dean, in like first, second grade. I remember and this this is culture specific, but my parents are Haitian. And, you know, when I went to school, I used to bring, you know, rice and beans, chicken, fish and Tupperware. <laughs> and I would go to the lunch table with all my, you know, friends, majority of whom were white. And there were a few black kids when I was in early elementary school at that time. And I would start eating. They would say, what are you eating? Like, why are you eating that? Like, why do you have utensils? You know, because my parents wouldn't give me plastic utensils. They would give me metal utensils. I would have the Tupperware. I had my rice. I read my, my red rice and beans over here, my chicken, my sauce, you know, like, like, and I'll be eating like it's, it's dinner, you know, it's leftovers from dinner and I would get made fun of. I mean, got made fun of for that. So then I'm just like, well, I don't want to bring, you know, homemade cooked mm -hmm. meals anymore. I want to get pizza from the cafeteria. Right. You know, I want to get whatever they're eating because I don't want to feel different. Right. right? Um, and then, you know, in like second grade, there was a kid who told me to go back to Africa and I didn't understand it at the time. I was like, I've never been to Africa. <laughs> you know, my parents Asian as, as a second grade. So then, you know, I had to talk to the school and ended up moving that kid around to a different class. And, you know, so that was really like the first time. And then, you know, you go up a couple years, you know, late, late middle school um, or late elementary school and then middle school, I moved to a different school that was even wider. And, you know, kids are playing with my hair. They're saying, oh, your hair feels like a carpet. You know, and I, and then I start digging into that. You know, I stuck pencils in my hair. I'm like, oh, look what I can do, right? Like, and it, it, and it, it ended up becoming something that I, I leaned into when it comes to mm. the micro the microaggressions. And but you know, every day, you know, I was there was something that almost every day someone told me something that made me feel different, right? Oh, like you're black and you have a French name. What's going on with that? Mm. You know, just just. Things like that. So it, it started 
when I was really young. And, you know, my, my parents did their best. I'm not, I'm not saying that they, that we didn't have some conversations about it, but when it comes to the, the adaptation, I had to figure it out. I had to say, okay, well, I'm no longer going to eat those home cooked meals. Right. I'm going to try to, you know, listen to what they listen to and talk how they talk, you know, even like, you know, for me, when it comes to Haitian Creole, there are some terms that I, I was used to saying around the house, um, that would slip early on in my, my, you know, in grade school. And then people were like, what are you talking? Like, what are you saying? And that, and then immediately I had to say, okay, I, I can't use this word. Like I have to use the English, you know? And then, so it was just that ongoing process. And I'm just like, okay, well, let me, you know, kind of take the parts of myself that are unique, that I love, you know, put them away, just keep them. Uh, I'll display them at home, but in school, I'm just going to be, try, I'm going to try to be as, as basic and, and adapt as possible. So it's almost like you're negotiating two worlds. You yeah. Know? You're negotiating your home world, but also your cultural identity as Haitian American, and then also negotiating white spaces. So you've, you're already quickly figuring out that who you are culturally and, and your identity and ethnically does not fit into the space um, that's pejority or pejoratively white, um, which is very unfortunate. But it does create some type of, um, um, and I don't want to say psychosis because that's not a word I would even use here, but you, this negotiation creates this duality where you're trying to figure out who you are, right, mm -hmm. in relationship to whiteness. And so you say that you've been in therapy for, or, you, or, you, or you've been learning more about who you are adapting and, and, and been in spaces with other persons of color. Yeah. Um, yeah. More about that? Yeah, so I, I have not been to therapy. Maybe I should go to therapy. I just think everyone needs therapy. You know, I, as I've gotten older um, and in college and now, you know, I, I've been able to have conversations with other people of color, you know, have conversations with, with Black colleagues and really kind of go through that and learn more about Black history. I think that's also where the American education system comes in because I didn't learn a lot about it, in all honesty, in grade school. I didn't have my first Black professor until college. And he was teaching a black uh, politics class. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that, that just says a lot right there. But I didn't have anyone to have these conversations with. But it wasn't until late college and I graduated that I started to have to work through that and learning, you know, I mean, I, I didn't even know really what microaggressions were until college, you know. So it's like having those conversations and realizing, oh, like all that stuff I used to do, like that's not healthy. Like them, you know, making fun of my name and, you know, asking, oh, like you like Kool-Aid or fried chicken, you know, that that wasn't healthy. That's not right. Like that's not normal. And then so going through that, you know, conversation with, with friends and, and, and with myself and then saying, OK, well, let me look at how I present myself and let me be more conscious when it comes to the things that I do. And let me try to fight, fight that back a little bit. You know, so let me let me be a little more proud. Let me share more about my culture. Let me share more about my experience. You know, let me not go down the the traditional, you know, I guess, acceptable, you know, black professional route. Let me let me try to change things up a little bit. So that's kind of the, I guess, you know, process I've been going through over the last couple of years to try to change my approach, make sure that I'm not negotiating on a day to day basis. And it's a work in progress, mm -hmm. um, but it's a it's a lot of education and it's a lot of self-reflection. Um, so could you say you're still dealing with that even in the spaces that you are in currently? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's again, you know, so I, I work in the, uh, behavioral health space specifically in prevention 
And, you know, the field is predominantly white. That's just how it is. Um, and in my role, you know, I give presentations and I talk to people from, you know, various parts of the state. You know, a lot of times rural parts of the state or parts of the state I'm unfamiliar with. And a lot of the time it's, it's, it's an all white crowd. Right. So and, and, you know, again, when I'm when I'm speaking to them and when I'm presenting, you know, yes, like I'm, I'm, I'm presenting and I'm representing my organization, but I'm also representing, you know, the black race, unfortunately, you know. So, you know, I try to be, you know, as I don't even know how, how to des- describe it, but almost like over the top you know, friendly and excited, not, not to say that I'm not, I am a very friendly person, but I'm always thinking, okay, you know, when I'm interacting with this person who lives in a place where there might not be any black people, <laughs> let me make sure I present myself in a way so that they know, Hey, you know, like black people aren't, you know, just what I see on the news or, you know, like the headlines, uh, you know, or on TV, like there's a lot that we have, we, we're not a monolith, right? There's a whole spectrum of us. Um, and I, I try to present myself in, in, I guess, the best, you know, quote unquote way. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's something that I'm still kind of, kind of working through. You know? So I have a question, kind of the, the inverse of, of this, what do you, have you ever gotten any pushback from black folks who feel that you're too accommodating, um, to, to the white folks that, you you may work with or come in contact with and and i and what i mean is that um you know there are some black folks that feel like you're um you're a sellout not you personally but 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 black people who are in the same position that you are that when you um when you compromise who you are that you're selling out that you're 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 trying to make white people being be comfortable you're not being your authentic self and you know you should just be who you are and and just let them deal with it. Um, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts? Do you, have you ever experienced that? And, and if you if you haven't, um, how how would you react? What would what would your reaction to that be? That's a great question. I've I've had some. I'll, I'll, I'll give a little sidebar here. So when I when I went to I went to the University of Chicago for college, and I remember the first time I. Uh, went to an event for our um, organization of black students on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went in there and we were having, you know, different sorts of conversations, just about anything. Um, and I really almost felt out of place, funny enough, because I had, you know, I was in, in a room with all these people that had a way better understanding of what it meant to be black than me. Right. So that was uh, a weird experience, too. And I kind of had to navigate that. Like, I'm from a predominantly white community. And now I'm entering a space where these people have grown up with black people all their lives, you know, and they're talking about things that I don't understand. And so, so that yeah. so that that's just a quick sidebar. But, um, you know, I haven't had anyone tell me, oh, you know, the way that you are, you know, presenting yourself professionally or, or things that you're doing. Um, like we have an issue with that because you're not being your authentic self and you're trying to be too accommodating. I think if you talk to any black person, there's some level of accommodation that they do, whether they know it or not. And if, and if I ever have that conversation now or in the near future, I would say, look, I mean, again, black people, we're a spectrum depending on where you grew up, what your culture is, you know, you're going to 
present yourself in spaces in a different way. And I'm not saying that, you know, the way that I do it is the best. <laughs> and obviously there's work to be done, but that's not something that you need to, you know, I necessarily push or back on them. You can help them navigate through that space. I think that's always healthier. Um, yeah, I haven't had anyone, you know, push back and say I'm being too accommodating or anything like that. But I, I've had people, you know, I can talk to to help me through those spaces, help me navigate those things. So, mm, good, interesting. Um, but I want to. So, where where are you now? I mean, you know, you said you've been you know doing more um, locating yourself um, in relationships with other blacks and having these conversations with other black persons um, and studying more about black history. What do you think what, what it will take for you or for others who are very similarly in the same situation navigating these spaces? Um, you know, is, is it your job, one, to make whiteness feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, is it your job, two, um, to be the representative of blackness in white spaces mm-hmm. when you're the only black person? Um, do you feel like it's onerous upon you to do that? And three, um, can you just let that go? <laughs> yeah. that, that is such a hard question. I mean, you know, I don't, it's, it shouldn't be anyone's job to carry the entire race on their back when they're in a white space. But the way that our system is built, you know, a lot of the folks in those spaces, you know, white colleagues and counterparts, you know, they aren't doing the work necessary to make that not a, re- not, not a reality for us. Right. So it takes a combination of education um, in order to, you know, kind of make that change. But the way I mean, I think it just ties back to systemic. It's a part of systemic racism, systemic oppression, you know. Um, so that that's a hard one. Um, and Dr. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting all the you. I know you listened to three questions, um, but I, I know. Go ahead. So the first was, you know, um, how are you now, how are you negotiating and navigating the spaces with other blacks? You said you've been in conversation with other black persons. How is that going? How is that working? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's going great. Um, I definitely improved. You know, looking back to to where I was, even you know in college and, and now, like I'm just having a better understanding of your history, uh, being you know more well versed on, you know the components of systemic racism and white supremacy and, and knowing those and calling those out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to kind of through self-reflection kind of dial back the, the accommodation a bit. Um, so it, it's going fine, but again, I, I, it's an ongoing process, but uh, so that, that, that's fine. And then the other question was, yeah. do you feel like you have to be the representative of the black race? Oh you? man. <laughs> I really, it, I shouldn't be. Um, and, you know, it's, again, it, it, it goes through that self-reflection that, you know, it's not, a, it's not a weight that I alone should or can carry. So, you know, I, it, again, it, it, it kind of depends. I think internally, when I'm when I'm working within my organization, especially now, I think that's less so. But when I'm presenting to strangers and you know, large you know presentations where they're majority white, I mean that's definitely something that goes through my head, and that's that's a weight that I I carry. So it depends. It it really like it changes my familiarity of the space. 
Um, but I think once I become more familiar of the space, then I can do a little more of that that fighting back when it comes to the negotiating. Um, so I don't know if that answers your it, question. It, it well. sounds exhausting. Yeah. Uh, it's exhausting. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah. Do you think that? Um, have you ever wondered that just that just you being yourself as you are is enough to to accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish? So by that I mean not going through extra steps, but just being the articulate, you know, nice guy that you are. They see that and and that is enough. Do you, do you always feel like you kind of have to go that extra little bit beyond what you are just normally? Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of both. Again, it's uh, when I'm going into a, a new space that is predominantly white. I, you know, I, I still kind of go that little, that little step, you know, yeah. and then I kind of dial it back and I become more comfortable. Um, but I, you know, I think the, the good thing is it doesn't happen all the time now. Um, but there's always that, you know, especially because I, I do work in the General Assembly. Right. You know, I'm, when I'm testifying on bills and stuff and I'm before these senators who, you know, a lot of them might have differing views from me. They might be you know, supporting things that I don't agree with. Um, I do find myself doing that that little step still. Um, so I guess, you know, there, there's a combination of things that kind of make that little that little extra step kick in. But I do think, you know, just me being my authentic self, I mean, I'm more than capable of doing anything. So that's definitely something that I, I know and understand. But, you know, again, it's when you enter those new spaces and you're a little uncomfortable that you kind of fall back into the, the comfortable practice of, oh, let me, you know, do a little bit of this. Let me make sure I'm, I'm, I'm enunciating my words, you know, in this way and, and presenting myself in this way. And so, yeah. Thank you so much, JP. This is a wonderful conversation around negotiating blackness and your own personal experience and stories. Uh, I'm pretty sure so many others can relate. Um, those who may be working in spaces or places where they may feel as if they're the only voice. Um, and then the owner is response upon them to speak for the black, entire black race. And it's like, I can't speak for the entire black race. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Experience. Right. Right. <laughs> no, but this is really, really great. I want to thank you so much for your time and for joining us. Um, thank this you. A great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. And for everyone else out there, be sure to read the full column by our guests. You can find it on Dispatch.com. And while you're there, please consider supporting local journalism by becoming a subscriber. And be sure to check back regularly for our next installment in the Black and White podcast series. So until next time, try to see things from the other side. Thanks. <laughs>